We have restructured to use the supply chain that's available, and we have massively superseded and exceeded our projections on production and getting cars out there. And so that was actually a good news story. The markets, meanwhile, saw that like uh, all they heard was blah 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 supply chain blah blah blah. <laughs> and so after those Q4 earnings, they were down 11.6 percent the next day. Started during lockdown, needed something to do. talking to you and so from a garden shed in a box room in west london they're discussing tech it's the small time best podcast so what it is is the people of of gateshead i'm sure they say this themselves all the time but they're very very blessed and they've got access to a plentitude an abundance of ikea that the rest of the country is short of briefly in birmingham last weekend these drawers appeared and then they were snaffled up. So I've just got to keep a beady eye out and I'll tell you if they come back <laughs> and I only really need you to grab them. Awkward conspiracy theory. Do they get snaffled up by the Gateshead Newcastle IKEA who's slowly <laughs> they're like their managers it's like we need to hoard all of the Platzer furnishings. <laughs> we'll and they've got to deal with the mayor of Newcastle. They're like, We'll bring everyone to Newcastle. <laughs> <laughs> they have to <laughs> This is <laughs> Well, that one time I did a day trip to Milton Keynes just to pick up like three drawers and some other bits of pieces. That was precisely because of this situation. And I think Milton Keynes was happy to see me. I want to take a trip down memory lane. 11 years ago, you published a dissertation and I don't really know what it's about. And somehow... (laughs) Somehow all of this metaverse, Google Maps, live stuff and augmented reality mapping is making you revisit that and um, tell me more about that. I don't, I don't know. What, what what did you write about? What was your university dissertation? Don't judge. This was like 11 years ago. I, I did architecture, so this is architecturally based. But it was called Geospatial Simulacrum. How is our interaction with the built environment affected by spatial virtualization? Which is just, just words, isn't it? When you step back and look at it. But then... A lot of the topics that I covered, I had flashbacks to it because I was using Google Maps and it had that button where it's like, go into live view and you like hold your phone up and you have this augmented reality view of Google Maps, which is really handy. In fact, it's incredibly useful. And it gave me these like trip down memory lane because that's exactly what this whole dissertation was talking about 11 years ago. Yeah, when you go into live view on Google Maps, it's only for pedestrian directions, but Mm -hmm. giant floating arrows appear, don't they? Well, as of last year's Google I.O., they'd added in additional features, so it's not even for directions anymore. So it will show you the road signs like on the road as opposed to having to look for where the road sign is and it will you'll point to a storefront and it'll show you what the waiting time is what the menu's like at that storefront it's just they've integrated that's really the kind cool. of awareness i've never actually part. got it to work because um my compass needs calibrating well actually it kind of sidesteps that right because the compass thing's really annoying because you don't know whether you can trust your phone to point in the right direction but then you go into live mode and you point it towards the building you're looking at and you're like oh it's there and it orients based on where the building is because you can see it, because it's got a camera and it's got overlaid, which is how people navigate. And there were chapters in my dissertation which are all around how people navigate via landmarks. You know, we're not homing pigeons. We don't have an inbuilt compass. Not really. We geospatially locate ourselves based on, oh, that's that tower that I know, or that's that building, therefore I need to go left. And we have no concept of like direction. We're just kind of building the mental model based on those landmarks. And they've done that now through 
Google Maps Live. I'd forgotten that like I went to Google's offices in London and interviewed people from the Google Maps team. And I was thinking cool. their view of where things were going 11 years ago, we've like got there. And it's it's weird. There's parts where I'm like talking about second life and like virtual worlds and how people interact with them. And I'm thinking, God, I took the wrong route. Because, like, I should have gone down, like, at that point, leaving university into, like, virtual world design and metaverse plays and all of that. Because now that would be, like, well, that's I where mean, we're you'd at. you spent a long, lonely time in the cold. In thinking, the cold. <laughs> what am I doing? What am I doing? Before this weird NFT thing came in and Zuck started talking meta. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. A conversation that happened in Bankless on NFTs the other day made the point that the metaverse is really here once you have to ask the question, which reality? And another point they made was that we have lived a lived experience for the last five to 10 years where the digital online life, particularly the last two years of lockdown, has been more vivid, more real. And we've made a lot of connections, which are purely online connections, first and foremost. So in a lived experience where there is no primacy given to the physical world, the offline and the online, it used to be that one was supplementing the other, augmented reality. But, you know, there are times now where actually the digital is kind of where it's all happening. It's the more relevant one. Mm. Uh, that's interesting because, um, I don't know, it, it raises important questions for everything from mental health to parenting, right? Growing up, we were told not to play video games too long. And then the Activision Blizzard acquisition by Microsoft for 60 billion is much bigger than anything like the value of of all of that IP hmm. and those digital worlds that people have spent so much time inside is massive. It's much bigger than films, much bigger than music. It's much yeah, bigger than... And they have more connection to like your actual memories and experience, right? I think that's... Right. Which then gives them real world value because at the time it's really funny my dad was the one who was like experimenting with second life and i was like what weirdos going to like a virtual world and like pretend to be some avatar thing so they can basically buy virtual furniture and virtual land and doing it i didn't compute and now ironically i'm the one trying to explain to my dad what nfts are it just seems it's just like the weird world that we've ended up in i am going to ask you jonathan what is this week's non-sponsor this week's non-sponsor is ledger which is a cryptocurrency hardware wallet and normally we don't pick non-sponsors that are like crypto related but this one is something that i've come to rely on and i think is just essential for anyone who's really getting into space in a kind of i'm going to be my own bank i know we talked about it last time it's like don't be a bank if you're going to be a bad bank but a good bank uses cold storage, a hardware wallet, something that secures your private keys. And Ledger is maybe one of two. I think Ledger and Trezor are both known in the industry as being really solid. Ledger is probably the one that's been around a bit longer. And their wallet's really cool. It looks like a USB pen. You set it up, buy it from Ledger, don't buy it from Amazon or some friend or some random discount store, buy it directly from them because you need to trust its provenance. And then when you set it up, you essentially are making sure that your private keys that sign any transaction that you make on any number of blockchains that it supports, because it's not just Ethereum, it supports many, many different mainstream blockchains. You're making sure that all those keys are kept off the internet 
most importantly. So if you do need to do something, you plug your ledger in, you see the transaction that it's asking you to sign on the ledger key itself, and you can sign it. It's just good hygiene factors for the next section we're going to talk about, which is this week in crypto. Well, thanks, Jonathan. Good non-sponsor. So if I understood what you're saying correctly, it's hardware wallets. They sound like a faff. They look like a USB stick. If you don't have one, you're not doing crypto right because it's not secure to keep a private key inside MetaMask. Correct. Once you get serious, you need to keep that key, i.e. keep your wallet, inside this thing that looks like a USB stick, but it's called a hardware wallet. And that means you've got a cold offline storage. And you're recommending Ledger, so there'll be a link in the show notes, will there? Yes, there'll be a link in the show notes. And I'm not sure what discounting gets you, but there will be a link in the show notes. (laughs) Great. This week in crypto... This week in crypto, oh, the favorite moment. Can you just tell me if crypto and markets are dead? Well, Jonathan, what I can tell you is that certainly in Bitcoin, since it's dipped below 40,000 US dollars on the 20th of January, this week Bitcoin stayed more or less between 33 and 39,000 US dollars. So, you know, it's kind of stabilized out. There's a few tokens that suffered quite a lot. It's almost like Bitcoin has now done its drop and now the other tokens are catching up. So we saw Solana and Axie and Pancake Swap Cake all drop 25% this week. Filecoin 17% drop this week. Ethereum trailing Bitcoin dropped 8%. So that's this week in, in crypto. On the markets, I think it's probably good to flag a lot of the volatility, such volatility. And that was even before in the Thursday post-FOMC session, Powell came out and said a few things uh, like, we expect to do some rate rises. And that, you know, that saw the markets drop about 3% after that announcement. Then, and I want to really focus here in on Tesla, then Tesla had an earnings call, which on the face of it, only good things, right? We're going to double down on production, which means that some of those things you're looking forward to take a bit longer to get here. So probably next year before you see things like the Semi, the Cybertruck, the Roadster, the the new old Roadster. And what's keeping us busy is fighting fires on supply chain. But we have adapted our codex to run on new chips. We have restructured to use the supply chain that's available. And we have massively superseded and exceeded our projections on production and getting cars out there. And so that was actually a good news story. The markets, meanwhile, saw that like uh, all they heard was blah, 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 supply chain, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) And so after those Q4 earnings, they were down 11.6% the next day. And that means that and so they're down 11.6%. And then today they dipped at one point down below $800 per Tesla share, which is down from 970, which it was on Wednesday this week. It's sold down from 1,200 at the start of this month, down to 800 to, to, at one point today, and then back up. Interestingly, contagion into the other EV shares. So Rivian fell 10%. Upon this news of supply chain woes, Lucid shares tumbled 14%. Chinese EV maker Neo had its US shares fall by 6 to 7%. So that was this week in the markets and crypto. 
I guess they're kind of like, if Tesla has supply chain issues, they're all screwed, <laughs> kind, of, kind of by default. Yeah, all of my shares are doing terrible. In fact, Amazon is down 25% from its all-time highs. Don't even get me started on Peloton and Beyond Meat. Like, don't even, don't even know where those things will end up. I would How say that Coinbase? Elon, Elon, no, don't, don't get that. <laughs> Elon, down 50%. Elon joined the earnings call despite saying he, he doesn't generally have time for this stuff unless it's important. And the things that he did say were Optimus, which is the name of the humanoid robot. Yeah, that's, good. that's a really big deal for Tesla right now. Are they making yeah. a Prime version? Actually, they have an internal joke. They call it Optimus Subprime. <laughs> of course they and then, uh, Of course they he says that He says this Optimus name is really sticking now. So that's interesting. And then he also pointed out that you might be waiting for the 25k coupe edition of, of a Tesla to come out, but you're missing the point. It's not to do with price per vehicle. It's price per kilometer. It's going to radically, radically drop once FSD is rolling out, which it's rolling out already and will do properly this year, he says again. So no one heard any of that. All they heard was the supply chain. Yeah, I think, I mean, the market's a jittery. I've Super jittery, been... so volatile. They're, oh, they're volati volatile. You know, you were saying like the Fed just like tinkers around with things until they break shit. And then it's just like, then they react suddenly. They tinker, they tinker, then they fix over the overcorrection. They overcorrect. But like, what if everything breaks, like the stock market breaks before the Fed even starts with rate hikes? Like, in that situation. If you look back to my predictions for this year, the big, big crash isn't coming this year. So take some solace in that. But when you say they break it, what would they, what would that look like? Uh, that would look like... All the expectations in the market go so negative that there's a huge sell-offs in the stock market, all other related and correlated assets, and that, yeah, we enter like full-blown recession before they even get to March. Mm -hmm. Yeah, conceivably possible. Can I just remind you and remind everyone that quantitative easing hasn't actually stopped and like it's still going? So when you see midday recoveries in the markets what could be happening is that people are furiously pulling levers and, and money printing machine is going <laughs> no. like that that could be what's happening in the middle of the day i don't i don't think that it doesn't work like that this is just breaking news it looks like arizona is going to debate a bill about legalizing crypto as legal tender uh bitcoin specifically did you see the the, the news about dm yeah what has, has dm had its last dm what a <laughs> I've got to car pay some DMs. Um, <laughs> the that whole thing has been a really sad story from my point of view because with Why? the best will in the world, like, okay, right. So, did you have a lot of DMs? <laughs> did you have he, a lot of Libra and you were like, oh shit, <laughs> <laughs> you can't fault them for trying. Like, the people, so here's, here's how to think about Facebook, right? Either you regard it as an evil empire in which it's kind of culturally, morally bankrupt because it, it keeps doing wrong things. So it's got a kind of insipid culture that deliberately tries to abuse the user and their privacy and their data, goes back on itself, renages on everything it committed to, and it can't be trusted because it lacks, fundamentally lacks integrity in the way it operates. And that permeates everything it does. Even if you believe that, which you may believe, you'd still hope that the people that they bring in to launch a digital currency, not having a good go of it, they put together a coalition of over a hundred different participants, including big players like 
PayPal and others. And Visa and MasterCard. Yeah, yeah. They, they brought in Everyone. big big players. And then they just kept getting slapped down again and again by the regulator. First of all, it was because it was a basket of multiple diverse currencies. That was real threat to the dollar's position as a reserve currency and the threat because, hey, it's Facebook, you know, already controlling people's opinions, thoughts, molding their views. And that huge you know, ad model already that influenced and controlling all the, the channels for communication through Instagram, and WhatsApp as well. But not only that, but the idea that they would have the basket of currencies. Okay, then they were told, no, you don't do it in Switzerland. So they folded and they brought it back to the US. They said, oh, but I don't like the way that you'll be holding the the reserves, the funds. And so they said, okay, well, it'll be our a partner, this registered institution. They brought in Silvergate to be the custodian. And so then, so they'd folded on so many things. By that point, they'd already renamed away from Libra. They'd lost so many of the starters, initial partners who'd put in the 10 million. They retrenched back to just being a dollar stable coin. They launched their wallet. Um, and oh, yeah, they in, had a wallet. In, in, in the trial of the wallet, they were just using Paxos dollars, right? Just mm. to try and keep everyone at ease. And then we come to today where they go, oh, no, throw in the towel. This regulator's never going to let us get away with anything we're trying to do. You know, we, we're trying all these things. It doesn't work. Their leader left. Uh, the guy they'd recruited from HSBC, a safe pair of hands, again, didn't work. Ultimately, I think the Facebook brand is the thing that sunk it, e even though it was the regulator's stolid opposition that meant that it, they could, just couldn't get this over the line. I mean, I mean, it was never going to work, right? They were launching something that was meant to match its value to the US dollar without being a US dollar and without being pegged to US dollars and without being based in the US and without asking permission from the It's like all, it's like they literally looked at the things you're meant to do and went, nah, we're just, we're Facebook. And I think that's the hubris from this, right? It's like Facebook are probably used to just doing whatever and then someone will get hauled in front of Congress and have to say like, oh, it's an ad revenue model. And someone will go, oh, what's that? How do you make money? But yeah, all these things. And it's like they never really get held to account. And this was one where, because it was like, no, 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 we're, we're going to do that thing that the Federal Reserve do. We're, we're just going to do that. Just not in the US and not with a Federal Reserve. And actually just with a bunch of global companies. <laughs> it actually kicked off this cycle, if you think about it. It was around that time in 2019 where everyone went, oh, that's going to be the the thing that kickstarts crypto and Bitcoin. And you saw these like flurries of people getting back into it. And China really doubled down on like the digital yuan. At that point, they were like, China suddenly were like, pilots everywhere. <laughs> Everyone's doing digital yuan. Just airdropping magic money to just different parts of China. <laughs> just endlessly so i think i think it's a great story for for facebook and for for crypto but it's it's interesting just in so many ways because i think it's also probably the thing that has forced the fed down this like fed dollar route like i don't think they would have really addressed that quickly had it not been for this almost intentional hoax to just kick up a fuss they would have waited longer it's only now that I realise that the DM logo, which is three wavy lines, mm. isn't that the mathematical symbol for is approximately equivalent to? Uh, on the other side, you put US dollar, basically. <laughs> I'd, I'd have preferred like an equal sign. It's not great, is it? Which one are you going to use? Approximate. It's approximately one US dollar. It's a basket <laughs> of uh, things, assets. I think it's time for this week in NFTs. This week in NFTs. Did you notice the blip when Discord went down? 
I didn't notice it go down. Tell me what happened. I didn't notice it either. I just noticed people on Twitter kind of being like, oh my God, Discord went down. And it was like NFTs didn't exist. <laughs> I was like, you know, we were talking last week about how Discord has positioned itself in this space and is now pretty much the cornerstone of NFT project communities. It going down for a few hours literally made NFTs disappear apart from what they could broadcast on Twitter. There was no ability to do community. It, it actually it actually highlighted a few things. Firstly, how fragile Discord is in terms of not its infrastructure, but its entire valuation, I think, is probably inflated based on the recent NFT boom. But it also highlighted how essential it is in the sense that it literally is the crucial tool in the toolbox that all NFT value and community value is kind of constructed around now. The people were commenting on it as a result. And then people started saying, you just can't do an NFT project without Discord. Can you imagine what that would be like? And it's like, for a few hours, it went down and people realized, oh, no, you can't. (laughs) What are you going to do? Use Reddit, like a giant, completely open internet forum where you can't verify if people have certain NFTs. Nope. You can use Twitter with their verified hexagons. It's like, no, it doesn't really form communities. You're definitely not using like Slack or Teams channels or Facebook groups. I think it's got a niche. It's just funny that it going down really highlighted how fragile the whole thing is right now because it's it's like Web3 built on Web2 rails, I think. Yeah, yeah. The standard thing. But normally people talk about that as like AWS reliance and, and server infrastructure, not as in core collaboration and community tools. And I think you have to kind of price that into this when you're thinking about the the risk to all these new innovations. They still, they're kind of underpinned by one or two web to existing internet platforms i've got a feeling that you're about to have a rant and it's to do with your favorite thing which is top shots nba top shots which was an early nft that you got really far too much into which is kind of like foil wrapped pointless video clips of tall people playing basketball and uh, you bought a few of those so what's happened with nba top shots and free hong kong gate (laughs) so firstly nba top shots is going from strength to strength when you say got too into it I didn't really get too into it in a financial sense because they're not that expensive to buy and it's more the time <laughs> that it takes to just wait in queues to get them. So let me explain what they are. They are little clips of NBA players doing certain plays and you can buy them in like little virtual card packets and open them up and oh, see which clips I got. And they run on the Flow blockchain, which is a blockchain built by Dapper Labs. Dapp Labs, the people who created CryptoKitties, one of the earliest people into the NFT space. And the user experience is great, which is why it's actually dominated by just basketball fans and not crypto nerds, you know, because you just pay with a credit card, it's in dollars, it's all really slick, there's no wallets that you need to maintain. Clue in that phase, there are no wallets that you need to actually have. So you have an account with Dapper Labs. And that lets you log in to NBA Top Shots and you can buy all this stuff by giving by buying money through your card. And not your keys, not your NFTs. And this is where it starts to get interesting. So something started getting a bit crazy when a user whose username was Free Hong Kong started basically raising the flag online and saying, uh, I've lost my account, all of my clips are gone, I don't have access to them anymore. And he had that thousands and thousands of dollars like serious serious collector right they're all gone how is this possible so it's an nft i thought this was on a blockchain i thought all this you know etc etc 
And it's just kicked off this whole debate in the whole space of the NBA as an organization gets a phenomenal amount of its revenue from China. China, huge basketball fans. They love certain basketball players, certain teams as well. And the NBA also has a lot of agreements with Chinese basketball teams. And so certain players go to and from China and very friendly in terms of all of the streaming rights and everything else because of so much money there. So whenever the NBA has been in this weird dichotomy where an NBA player complains about the treatment of Uyghurs or the treatment or the, you know, the civil liberties issues in Hong Kong, that very quickly the NBA comes out and goes, no, 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 you know, this was just a play, no, no affiliation to what the NBA really thinks, la, da, 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 very good, paper over. And the NBA has been under a lot of pressure for this, but they're just acting in their financial interests at the moment. That's just the truth. This one's interesting because it's like, you start to get into the space of property and digital ownership and crypto and everyone who's in crypto for what it means about censorship resistance and freedom and and real agency starts looking at this going hold on it's not a blockchain they're not nfts they're like it's you don't even need a blockchain if you're able to just just remove someone's account and just take all their stuff like that's not that's not really how it works it's a really valid point right like what's the what is the point of going to the trouble of a blockchain and partnerships with these people who are like having this fully validated blockchain that you can query and see transparently that can't be you know rewritten if the owner can go oh no we don't like your username sorry you might as well just have a database run by nba it and that's what's really really affected them because that's that devalues the whole thing right Mm. if your username can do that then what, what happens if your name gets connected with other things you say online? I mean, at what point you tweet something, oh, I just bought this um, Topshot thing, but then your other tweets say something about the Uyghurs or Hong Kong or, you know, Xi Jinping and Winnie the Pooh, and suddenly it's just like, oh, profile gone. It's a difficult situation that I think maybe no one cares who's collecting NBA Topshots, but I think certainly a lot of people in the crypto and NFT purist space are looking at it with with judgment yeah i hear you so is this a problem with flow and the implementation they did for nba or is it a deeper problem with the way that flow does their nfts i think it's a problem more with the way dapper labs has a commercial relationship with people like the nba their customers right yeah and that because me as a user when i sold my stuff i had to do it by essentially logging into my Dapper Labs wallet, listing something for sale, that sale gets, it's a smart contract executed sale, so it's all on the blockchain, but it's the fact that that's not really my wallet, that's just a user account with Dapper Labs via the NBA that then allows them to do it on my behalf, right? And it's like, you can't, there's no alternative, there's no other market, you can't can't go to Looks Rare and sell NBA Topshop, so you have to use the Dapper Labs and the NBA marketplace. It's a very... Which is, which is fine for some things, right? There are many cases where that's fine. I think had they not got into the hot water by banning certain users over what is really a free speech matter, that's where it gets really messy now. Because it's like, at what point is it something you actually own? Because you can never really take ownership. You can't shift it onto your ledger or your own wallet. You just have to hope that they don't ban you. And the fee Hong Kong person never got like a explanation, although it's kind of obvious in his name, right? Um, mm. But never got like a communication of a warning, please change your username or something. It was just gone. Yeah. Problematic. So has someone been able to pick up 
cheap NFTs by doing some kind of exploit. I haven't. Have you? What is this? Did you get the email? Uh, is this the email from OpenSea? Yeah. So what the email from OpenSea said is that if I hadn't cancelled a listing before I moved an NFT from one wallet to another, then there was a risk that if I... Well, then I, I really ought to go check out a list of all of the uncancelled listings because these were actually technically still valid listings and I could find that they could get triggered at some point in the future. And then they, they after everyone said, wait, wait what? what? What is this even real? How do I know this isn't some elaborate phishing thing? Then they sent a follow-up email that said, actually, you know what? That will only really come into play, I suppose, if you moved it back to that wallet. If you've got no intention of moving it back, then you probably don't need to worry about it. And also, if you've now sold it to someone else, then obviously that's not an issue anymore. So, you know, we're still very serious people, but you can ignore what we were saying. <laughs> It, that is it's funny I'm, I'm glad i'm not the only one who read those emails and was even more confused than i was going into it the reason this popped up you, you may have seen like a lot of people on twitter are like oh my god like my bored ape got sold for like 12 eth and it's now worth 80 why did it why did that how does someone able to sell it and like a whole load of people were saying it's a bug it's an exploit it's a it's like a defect in OpenSea's contract that someone was hacking and they were quick to be like, no, 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 it's not. It's not a bug. It's a feature. <laughs> it's um, this is this is the reality of someone setting a sell order or like putting it for sale, basically listing it for sale, which creates a smart contract trigger, right? That if someone supplies that contract with that amount of Ethereum, the whole the whole thing executes. But then a lot of these whales in particular probably they have lots of wallets, so they're like sending it from their hot wallet to a cold wallet or something not realizing that just because you've moved it from a different wallet, because you haven't triggered the sale, that sale's still live. You just can't see it in the UI. And this is why OpenSea were like, it's not a, a hack or something. It's a UI problem, which it truly is. It's a terrible UI situation when you literally don't know that someone could buy it at a yeah, ridiculously still cheap for, price. Still for sale. Still for sale, it doesn't say. But this is what happens when you enter a space that's very... On the surface, super easy, and on under the hood is technically very, very complicated. And mm. I was thinking about it a little bit like, um, remember in the early days of the internet with web browsers, when a lot of people didn't realize that closing the browser tab or the, the browser itself didn't mean you're logged out from all the sites, unless you understand cookies and session times and everything, you're not going to get that, right? And on your own laptop, that didn't make a difference. But if you were in like an internet cafe in an airport or something, the yeah. next person who comes in and goes to like a Gmail, oh, I'm in your Gmail. How did that happen? You know, and then yeah. the user's not going to know that unless they're very technically savvy, at least in the past. Yeah. And session times weren't limited to the way they are now to kind of get you to re-log in and check, you know, for, for things that would be irregular behavior. So that would just happen. It's a bit like that, I think. Mm, I agree. It's a bit like that weird feature in Internet Explorer that lived for the whole duration of Internet Explorer, which is that if you press the backspace button, sometimes it just triggers the back button <laughs> and you lose everything you've typed you lose into everything. web form. I don't know why that was never fixed. Anyway, it's a bit like that, I suppose. Just one of those things like, yeah, that's a known issue. Or it's, it's like it's a, a feature. feature. It's, it's not a bug, it's a feature. <laughs> it's just like learn how to work around it. Yeah, yeah. So um, I think it's time for How Do I Crypto? How, how do I crypto? How do I crypto? 
So this is the third episode in this ongoing series of How Do I Crypto? And I thought we need to cover like what's the deal with NFTs, even though we talk about them a lot. But I still get the, you know, there's probably a lot of your podcasts I just don't really understand. It's like, oh, good, we should cover NFTs then. Because um, I've tried explaining it to more and more people and I keep going back to the same metaphors. And I thought we probably need to cover a whole load of different topics about what they are. Are they killing the planet? What does minting mean? All of these things. So can you give your best example of like, how would you explain NFTs to a newbie? The thing about NFTs is that it requires a bit of a leap of faith and it's really counterintuitive. And a lot of the time I find myself in conversations where I'm talking to people who don't buy it, like, and think it's stupid and they might be right. Like they might absolutely, that is a legitimate view to have, right? And the leap of faith that's required if you do want to kind of buy it, if you want to kind of go through the looking glass in this one, the leap of faith that's required is to believe that it isn't about buying an overpriced JPEG of digital image or a music clip that can be copied and passed around. What you're buying is property, digitally scarce property, a bit like deeds or ownership rights. And with it, often, eventually will come other things. In some cases, status, weirdly. In some cases, bragging rights to a select group of weirdos. In some cases, membership of an exclusive club that has social aspects to it and lets you get on a yacht somewhere for some reason. So that's what NFTs are. Now, where people get stuck is a natural kind of almost moral revulsion uh, where it's like, no, I'm not going to, but I'm not going to go through the looking glass because that is, that is mad, all that stuff. I mean, this is so counterintuitive. I would feel much better much less cognitive dissonance, much less physical aversion if the price of everything went in NFT land went to zero and that you just hope against hope you can see them willing for it, just willing <laughs> for it to go to zero because then it would make sense, right? That is consistent with the universe that I've grown up in that I'm that makes sense to me, right? And nothing that you can right-click on and save is worth anything by definition. But... um then there's this other world where people keep insisting that it is worth something. So you have these two conversations. If you start off in a conversation with people and they're like, I hate this so much and just talking about it winds me up, then to be honest, you're probably not, there's no, there's some conversations just like, well, you know, like other opinions are available and different views exist. Scientists are baffled. So it's like, that's kind of that's kind of like you're you're okay just to do that. That's fine. And, and I, I, that some people say to me, well, surely the whole point of of you know us being humans is we can have conversations to change people's minds. I've been in conversations where people change their minds. It hasn't happened often. What What do you say when people are like, oh, I just can't get on board with something because it kills the planet because of the energy usage? Um, I mean that's a lot deeper that's so much deeper no but that i think that's like to do with nfts that, like, that's like one of the first things that comes up when i talk to people about yeah, nfts because even if they love if that's so you know, if that's the thing that's holding you back from getting into nfts first of all there's no need to get into nfts you're not missing out on one of life's great joys don't sweat it it's fine so if that's the thing that's holding you back from participating good on you 
However, that shouldn't be the thing because there's much more serious things that are problems with it that should be holding you back, even more serious than this point that you raised around the energy intensity of running a blockchain in order to enable the transactions to happen that that sort of underpins this ecosystem. Those The more serious things are, is it okay that societally we're expending this much resource on this particular cultural expression? Like, is that okay? How do you, How do we feel about that in general? Like there are pictures, very small pictures of apes, simians, dressed up in hats and stuff, being moved around for ludicrous amounts of money at the same time as in those societies, we have mass incarceration, we have child poverty, we have problems around access to uh, education, to clean water, to mobility, to energy. We have got many, many things that we need to tackle at the same time as this is going on. Uh, that is probably a deeper question to ask. That's and it's, such it's a not harder question. I, question. I don't know why you would yeah. go from like, well, I would you say, dodge the I would hard say, question. No, I would say even you're, asking me about, you're asking about energy. <laughs> I would say if that's the thing that's holding you back, good on you, good for you. It shouldn't be. There are bigger things that should be holding you back. Nonetheless, if you want to have a conversation about NFTs, it is a fascinating space. And... You know, ask yourself this. Are you the kind of person who might enjoy it? Only ever buy one if you think you might actually like it for itself. This is true. If you get into it because you want to make a quick buck, that is that might blow up in your face. It is often been known to. When it does blow up in your face, at least you would be holding on to a thing that you had a reason to want to buy in the first place. And a year from now, two years from now, three years from now the price may have gone up, stayed the same or gone down, you will still have that thing. And people will say, some people will say that it's yours. <laughs> that's what it is. That is an NFT. And that's the reason why you should NFT, if you want to. Interesting. This is not financial advice. I mean, I mean, the correct answer to the energy thing is that I think people are conflating the, the two things and usually parroting something they've heard from someone else. Because it would be like saying, oh, those people who are tweeting... Do you know how much energy is used by the internet, the infrastructure that has to power the tweets, you know, and then trying to like make that an argument for not using pretty much anything on the internet, you end up in that same sort of like moralizing energy uses thing. I think you might want to start from the angle that societies allocate resources to different activities. We're in a society right now that's allocating some resources that includes energy, but also includes a stonking great pile of money to NFTs. That is alarming for a variety of reasons. I'm not saying this is the last days of Rome. I'm saying, but look at that. Gosh, what a boom there that took off in 2021. The answer to the question, what to do about energy use, is the thing I said. Or another answer to energy use is, I think you shouldn't worry about that too much because they're going to be running this blockchain anyway for other things and it won't be adding additive there's energy use so many, to the blockchain. There's so it's the easiest way is to say you're conflating the issue. It's nothing to do with energy because if you it get... It is to do with energy. It isn't because if you get into that, you can get into the whole, it depends which blockchain because they all consume different amounts. And if it's a well, What about the thing Ethereum I said, which is that... Proof of stake and that will... Society allocates resources to different things. And you really ought to be thinking philosophically about whether this resource allocation is to your liking or if you should switch to a different society. <laughs> okay. At which point the person turns around and walks off and you've, we've all won. Um, so what is minting? What is minting, minting is when 
an NFT <clears throat> comes into existence. So people design NFTs and sometimes there's just one of them. Sometimes there's 10,000 in a series. Sometimes there's like five or any other number. At the very beginning of it, to bring it into existence, you have to open speech marks, mint the NFT. That means you go to a website you've never been to before. <laughs> you connect your MetaMask wallet to that website and then you send it money plus gas. And then it's usually a small, relatively small amount of money compared to what that thing will hopefully eventually be worth. And then that NFT comes into existence and exists in your wallet. That is minting. Can I add a few details? Yeah. I think the important part is it's when it actually ends up in a block on the blockchain. Like until that point, it's like not a a token. It's not a thing. But then when you, the gas that you supply, I guess, is used to write it into a block. And it writes it in a block and it says the directions, the treasure map to this thing, this picture of a simian is owned by that wallet. And but then what do you actually own? So say I've minted it, I've paid some gas. It's in my notionally in my wallet, i.e. it's on the blockchain that I can access with my private keys. But what do I own? Well, if it's a bored ape, which is one of the NFT types where there's a picture of a monkey, uh, sorry, an ape um, wearing some jewelry and like some clothes and looking a little bit bored. If it's that, then you own the rights to use that image on other things. Mm, that's you true. could use that image on t-shirt. Then you could wear it around the place. True fact, some NFT projects, they give you full commercial ownership rights, right? And the royalties and everything. So World of Women recently did that. They announced they've changed their terms and conditions that covers that in terms of usage. And now owners of that NFT have full commercial usage. So if it somehow got featured in a film and you got paid royalties, that would go to supposedly the owner of the NFT, which is which is not the same for all things. Doesn't Yeah, in, in others you don't own the image rights or any IP. You mm. just own kind of the idea of that particular token, like belonging to you. Yeah, it's kind of limited limited rights by the project owner. If I wanted to buy one and sell one, so I'm not minting one, I guess I could go to OpenSea and then face that wonderful user interface but like what would someone who's new to this experience if they tried to buy an nft yeah so on OpenSea, you know go into google type in open or other browsers are available <laughs> you, you go you type in OpenSea. you'll go to you'll get the website and there'll be like you can like search through collections of stuff at a certain point like when you want to buy or sell something you need to connect your wallet that we talked about this before, it's like MetaMask might be your browser-based wallet. It's an extension in Chrome. And when you connect your wallet, then you can see how much money there is that you might want to buy the things that they're in front of you with. There'll be gas fees. And depending on how congested the network is, that might be like $200 or it might be like $50, $40, of gas to do the transaction. It's like a kind of tax on the purchase. When you're looking at NFTs and thinking about buying them, the most important concept is rarity. So in a collection of 10,000 things, some of them, like there'll be only one of, some of them there'll be a hundred of, and some of them there'll be a thousand of. The things that there's a hundred, you know, of only a hundred items have that trait. Example, only a hundred of the simians had blue eyes. 
that's still quite rare in a group of 10,000. And those ones will have a higher value because of that. If it has blue eyes, but it's also the only one of five that additionally is wearing a baseball hat sideways, then now we're, now we're talking. That one should have considerably higher price, should fetch a considerably higher price because of its rarity. There is a kind of health warning attached to this, which is that this is a rabbit hole. And what's weird about ideas of rarity is it's possible to get really hooked on it and very swiftly fall down a rabbit hole of learning a lot about traits and beginning to find your own preference sets about the kinds of traits that you think are great in this particular collection. It's weird how that happens. It's just like flatterly or... That can happen. Collecting trainers or any of these things, there's like... Yeah, I know what you mean. You can very... It's a weird human thing. You don't expect it to happen because it's pictures of apes, but it will happen, so be careful. It's like pattern recognition. I think we're wired to find certain patterns in things and then also attribute values to them. And when you see that this particular combination of things is both aesthetically pleasing, but also rare. And then suddenly, if more people know it, then that has, what, a cultural value because it's got more demand, still limited supply. It's a weird situation. I I guess the final thing that probably... You've talked a lot about MetaMask and gas fees and and things that are just quite expensive to do. What's the difference between, like, an Ethereum NFT and, like, all these other ones? Because everyone is doing NFTs now. Yeah, so you can get NFTs on Solana. Uh, you can get them on Binance Smart Chain. Uh, you can go to PancakeSwap and find the kind of equivalent version of CryptoPunks, which is the bad boys of the, of the BSC uh, Binance Smart Chain in PancakeSwap. You can find the equivalent of CryptoPunks in Solana, on the Solana chain. And you can find hundreds of other projects in Solana chain and probably on Phantom and probably on the other blockchains. There is this idea of like the canonical thing, right? And in Ethereum, it feels like it has more legitimacy because it was like the first place where nfts happened and because ethereum has all the liquidity and because ethereum is ethereum it's really real but in these other places like solana and PancakeSwap and others you can pick up some nfts you can find some projects and they are subject to all the same dynamics i suppose the thing to say is that if you were struggling with the idea of the legitimacy of nfts in the first place then get in at the shallow end on Ethereum before you start wading over into the deep end because of these other blockchains, because you'll even more struggle with the idea of legitimacy once you're in these other blockchains, which have some reference back to this uh, this founding, founding blockchain. Mm. That's actually made me think of another, another relevant point for blockchains in general, which is that unlike all other technology, which new and shiny startup equals better often like newer technology faster this better that with blockchains the kind of the longer it's been around the more valuable and trustworthy it can be because it goes back further in history and then the longer the chain the more trust you can place in it you know what i mean like bitcoin there's that and there's the fact that because of nfts being as you've said previously about community and about socially derived legitimacy right you will find that the communities are stronger in ethereum and that feels like there's more legitimacy Mm. because of that 
in Ethereum where there's more liquidity, more attention, uh, more where people, more people, more, pe- more NFTs people doing have been NFTs. Longer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Cool. Hopefully that was useful. I think it's time for CryptoPunk or CryptoFunk, and this week is my turn. I won last week. Let's make this consecutive right so same game uh one of them will be real one of them will be fake you have to guess which one is which i'm gonna start with i think it's pronounced pegaxi yes pegaxi so do you know something called zed run yeah like the horse racing thing absolutely well imagine if zed run instead of being horse racing was like horses with wings like pegasus um that you know race and it's uh play to earn and you race these these things and they have lots of different traits and then just imagine if that was running instead of on i'm guessing zedron runs on ethereum imagine if it was running on polygon so basically mm-hmm. like a cheap version of ethereum yeah that's the first one okay second one is honey badger dgaf which is yeah. four thousand seven hundred and sixteen honey badgers they are kind of 3D ones. You can They're not 3D in the sense of they're full metaverse 3D ones. They're those ones where they, you can kind of rotate them. They're on a loop rotating on a platform. So they're 3D oh, yeah, objects. Right. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, but they're, because honey badgers are like just amazing. They have like weapons and special abilities. So you can battle them. It's a play to earn game. You battle your different honey badgers. They don't die like some of the others. But the the traits give you special bonuses to try and win the game and therefore the pot. And it's kind of it's kind of weird. Like one of the games that it's quite new, so there's not loads of games. But one of the games is like uh, comp- it's a human element to it. So you put in your honey badger, which is kind of like your Pokemon with your traits, and those give you special bonuses. And in this one, it meant you had more time to solve a whole load of captures. And so, and then the winner of who solves the most captures wins. But obviously, your your honey badgers play a part in that whole interaction, as a yeah, as a almost like a Pokemon with loads of traits. And what do you win? Ethereum. Oh, this one's running on Ethereum. I should have said. Mm. So the entry goes into a pot, and then you battle against different ones, and there's different kind of pots, and then the winner takes that, and the they're slightly dynamic in the sense that they don't get new traits, but they get kind of like additional win ranks on them so which which affects what it doesn't affect their performance i just i think it just affects the fact that they have more more wins under their belt which when you came to selling one what would it what would it favor oh the higher definitely the ones that have had more wins are are pricing higher at the moment so i think it's seen as being like an example of another game Mm, so there was one where it was just balloon popping so it's based, it's, they haven't got a phone app, it's web-based. But this one, you just had to pop loads of balloons. But depending on your Honey Badger's abilities, I think some of them that had like time warp ability, uh, the balloons go slower. So easier to pop. How much is the Honey Badger GGF? Floor price at the moment is 0.025. But uh, given that there's 4,716, um, some of the the like the top ones, the rare ones are are going for like four or five ETH. There can't be hardly anyone available to play any of these games. In what sense? Online at any given time. I guess it doesn't have to be. A, it can be asynchronous. If no, I'm no, they're, no, they're real time. They have announcements in the Discord, so they'll do announcements in Discord. Like game will be at this time. Yeah, oh, they're not. They're not. Then you don't just like log the, in and do then it. The it's not Call of, of Duty. 
the limited number of 4,600 people, uh, of which some of them... Of which there's like a thousand unique owners. Yeah, so, yeah. which a hundred, hundred, yeah, a thousand unique owners. <laughs> so then it's like they would go online, they'd say, oh, I'm going to play this capture reading game. No, it's announced. It's announced. They'll right. be like, oh, on Tuesday at this time, join for this game. How much is a Pegasus, a Pegaxi? A Pegaxi? Well, because it's in Polygon, I think it's really cheap. They're like 0.03, but I guess it's like ETH, Polygon ETH. Which is the same as ETH. Yeah, which is the same as ETH, but running on the Polygon chain. Ignore that fact. Um, so if you went... So how do you, how do you battle these? How do you battle a, 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 a Pegaxi? Pegaxi. Uh, just different format races. Give me an example of a format of race. Uh, I don't have them to hand right but there's there's lots of different formats of race and there's there's different types of pegaxi and if you um if you win you don't win polygon eth you win vigorous which is a it's its own sort of token right it's like winning i guess axi do you win axi with your thing maybe it's so like that. you know how in zed run it's as deep as horse racing right so you you have a stable, you have bloodlines, you have inherited traits from the parents, you have form from previous races, and in the race that's upcoming, you don't know what the going is going to be. I did not know and all of this, by the way. You know a lot about Zedran. But what you do know is certain traits of, of your particular horse, like its, its stamina and its speed and so on, and how it's currently doing in terms of its health. As that race comes up, you can obviously submit your horse and you can bet and gamble different amounts of money. So is that same thing in Pegaxi? Don't think to that level. What is like the um, graphics of it? Is it 8-bit style? Is it browser-based? It, it looks so much like Zed Run. They they have, um, it's browser-based, but I think they're planning on doing an Android and iOS mobile versions of it soon. It's very new. Like, like very, very new. Yeah, hence I don't have all of the... All of the information, but lots coming soon. Lot, yeah, big, big roadmap. It feels like you've deliberately constructed this so that Honey Badger feels like a rich, vivid, actually possible dynamic game that is real, that you've put loads of detail into. And Pegaxi is like deliberately kind of thin, doesn't really seem like you've done any work on it or know anything about it. And yet... You know, what that would be that that's suggestive of is that one is like the finely crafted thing and the other is the thing. Or however <laughs> that I in my research I just I had more time to research one than the other. Or you're right, it's hard to say. It is hard to say, isn't it? What I'm gonna tell you is this <laughs> <laughs> Honey Badger DJF is real. That is the crypto punk. And the crypto funk is Pegaxi. <sighs> okay. Final answer? Yes. So the lovely thing about Honey Badger, DGAF, is like DGAF, like 4716 in the alphabet. So there's a lot. I made up Honey Badger, DGAF. It's a crypto funk. There's just so many nice little elements to it. And you're right. Um, Pegaxi... They genuinely have a big roadmap ahead, and it's just—it's just currently 
that is uh it's not it's not all there so well they do do they do do breeding but it's literally like it's literally zed run but it's cheaper with wings nice so there Uh, you go excellent pod thank you very much well done talk to you next week great pod next week started during lockdown needed something to do they looked at each other they said hey i like talking to you and so from the